If you have your Bibles, if you would turn with me to Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32, we're going to take just a quick reprieve through the book of Genesis this morning as it's Father's Day, and and just want to share with you a quick word from Luke chapter 15, and look at the prodigal son's father, the prodigal son's father. Now, uh, this morning, I'm probably going to give you about five sermons in one sermon, all right? It doesn't mean it's going to be five times as long, but I'm going to try to weave together five or four or three or two or six, I'm not sure how many at this point, into one cohesive sermon, all right? So you can let me know if I failed or if we did it, all right, together at the end of this thing. But we're going to look at Luke chapter 15, 11 through 32, but let me give you a little bit of the context behind the prodigal son and the prodigal son's father. Now you'll see if you look at your Bible, and I'm thinking at this point you all have your Bibles open and you're looking at it with me, but if you were to look up a little bit at Luke chapter 15, you see that Luke chapter 15, the first portion of Luke chapter 15, is Jesus telling a parable about lost things. And he's speaking to some Pharisees and some grumbly uh, guys who are frustrated that Jesus is spending time eating and receiving sinners. And so Jesus, in rebuttal to these Pharisees and grumblers, he's going to give them three parables about lost things. The first one that you'll see is the lost sheep, and you'll be reminded that this lost sheep, that the shepherd had 100 sheep and 99 were right where they should be, but there was one missing, and so the shepherd left the 99 to go after the one to receive that lost sheep and carry it home. We also see that there was 10 coins, one was missing, and so they turned the house upside down looking for the coin until they found the coin, and they threw a party because they had found the lost coin. Uh, There's some sort of theme that Jesus is trying to get across to these Pharisees and these grumbling men about lost things becoming found. And this is where we find ourselves in the story of the prodigal son. And if there could be probably about a year's worth of sermons just baked into the prodigal son, Tim Keller has a fantastic book called The Prodigal God that unpacks so much of this familiar story with us. But this morning, I'm gonna read this. And I'm going to pause and call several timeouts along the way in this passage because it's a longer one, okay? Everybody with me? All God's people said? All right, give me something here. Are you ready? All right, Luke chapter 15, 11 through 32. And he said, Jesus said to this crowd, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had, and he took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. Let's call our first time out of the morning right there. I want you to to just put yourself and insert yourself into this story. Recognize what's happening here, the depth of what's happening. This is not just a story about a son coming to a dad and saying, hey, dad, can I take some some money and go off? This is a son coming to his father and saying, hey, dad, it would be better for me if you were dead. So can I have the money that would be owed to me at your death? Can I go ahead and get that now? Hey, dads, any of you have breakfast in bed this morning and that conversation go similarly? Hey, dad, this breakfast in bed is awesome. I'm gonna need to go ahead and get that inheritance right now, right? I mean, imagine the depth of what this is being told, that this son has the audacity to come to his father and say, hey, dad, I'm gonna need my inheritance now. It's better for me for you to be dead. And in honesty, I don't wanna wait for you to die 
I want to go ahead and get my stuff now. Do you feel that? That's a heavy ask for this youngest son. A younger son to come to his dad and with the audacity to come to his dad and say, dad, it would be better off if you were dead. And in fact, I would rather you be dead. So can you go ahead and just give me the money that I would get when you die? This is where we find ourselves in this passage. This is the depth that Jesus is trying to get across to the readers. I mean, the audacity, the shame, the the sheer nerve of this son to come to his dad. And so fathers across this room, moms, dads across this room, feel the weight of this ask. Don't just gloss by it. Feel the weight of this. Imagine your son coming to you this morning and saying, hey, dad, it would be better for you to be dead. I want my stuff now. Imagine how that would make you feel in this moment. Imagine the hurt and the pain that you would experience hearing your son say, dad, it would be better off if you were dead. That's some hurt words right there. Some words that should prick our heart. So let's continue. Let's untime out the first time. Verse 14. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the, in the country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of the country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. As he was longing to be fed with the pods, the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. Let's call our second time out right there. Verse 17 has been a a verse that uh, I found helpful uh, over the course of time. This prodigal is gone from living high on the hog to living with the hogs. And at some point he, maybe your translation would say, he came to his senses. He came to himself. It's like he woke up and recognized what in the world am I doing? You imagine there was times where he took his father's money and he went and lived high and well and everything was good. There were probably moments that he was thinking, man, this is awesome. I've made the best decision. Look at all this wonderful stuff. This is all great and good and wonderful. And I'm enjoying everything that's coming my way. Everything is good and right. My pockets are full. Everything was good. And at some point, that pockets full mentality landed him in the pigsty eating and wishing he was eating the same food from the pigs. And at some point, He came to his senses. It's a prayer. I'm sure that we don't pray joyfully for sometimes prodigals and difficult people in our lives. Or would you allow them to come to their senses? You see right here that there's a a famine in the land and so difficult times came upon this prodigal son. And so in the midst of his difficulty, in the midst of all the waves of life crashing upon him, this is what brought him to his senses. C.S. Lewis once said that God sometimes uses pain as a megaphone to get the attention of his people. And so here, in the midst of a pigsty, he came to his senses. If we continue in verse 18, I will arise and go to my father. And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. 
And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they begin to celebrate. Let's call our third time out because this is the, as Tim Keller said, this is the end to act one of the play. Everything is good. They're celebrating. Everything is well. They're celebrating the son has returned home. But act two continues in verse 25. Now the older son was in the field and he came and drew near to the house and he heard music and dancing and called one of the servants and asked him what these things meant. And he said to them, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and he refused to go in. His father came and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I've never disobeyed your command, yet you have never given me a young goat that I may celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed a fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you have always been with me and all that is mine is yours. It is fitting to celebrate and be glad. For your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Let's pray together. Lord, would you help us? Open our hearts and our eyes and our ears to receive precisely what it is that you would have for us. In this familiar passage, would you re-examine our hearts and our souls to receive it well this morning? It's in Jesus' name that I pray, amen. Let's take a moment and examine the father in this story, the prodigal's father, and three distinct uh, characteristics that we see him marked by. The first, if you see on your outline, the first is simply compassion. If you see number one on your outline, it would be compassion. Let's examine for a moment compassion. You see that this, this prodigal is in the pigsty, and at some point he says while he's in the pigsty, he's wishing and longing to eat from the pods that the pigs are eating. And at some point he has a realization that he can go back home. He has a realization that his father is there. His father would treat him better than this. He has a realization that his father is there. Now, we've we've stood in the shoes of the father for a moment, but I want you to take a step in the shoes of this son. I want you to imagine what that walk home was like. Can you imagine every step this son took was full of guilt and full of shame? Can you imagine on the way home, he's thinking, man, my father is just gonna be so upset. This is so embarrassing. Can you imagine every step he took? This is the guy who stood in front of his father and said, Dad, it would be better off if you were dead. I'm leaving it all behind. You know that word has gotten back to his home country. You know that everybody knows that the son has left. Can you imagine with every step that this son takes back home is likely filled with a lot of anxious steps, a lot of guilt, a lot of shame, a lot of embarrassment, Can you imagine along the way, he's thinking about all the way he's squandered everything he's had. He's embarrassed by all the things he's done. Can you imagine for a moment what this son feels like taking every step back home? But alas, he knows at least in his father's house, he could be welcomed in even if it is a servant. And I want you to open your Bible and I want you to read precisely what the word of God says in these moments. I will arise and I will go to my father and I will say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And he arose and he came to his father. 
in your Bible, it may be good to underline, highlight, just, just make sure these words step off the page in your soul. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. And what is the chief emotion that his father is led by? What is the chief emotion that you see the father, why he runs out to entreat his son? Why, what do you see in your copy of God's word that would say the father would see his son and run towards him? It's compassion. It's compassion. He sees his son likely dirty and filthy and smelly and nasty. And it's the compassion of the Lord that this father runs after him, embraces him, hugs him, and welcomes him in. At no point does this father see his son and sit in the balcony or the foyer of his house. Does that father say, you know what? I'm gonna wait till that son gets right up to me. And I'm gonna make sure he gets down on his knees. You know what? I'm gonna sit, I'm gonna sit in my place of authority. And I'm gonna wait for him to come grovel back to me. At no point does that father say, I'm gonna wait and see what he says before I go out there and figure out what's going on. No, you see the father fueled by compassion run after his son. And this is not contrary to scripture. This is all on the pages of scripture. What do you see Jesus as he's ministering to the people and he's seeing people sick and hurting? What does it say? Jesus moved by compassion for the people because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Our our father is moved by compassion. Since he was coming on the boat, he's all sick people, diseased people everywhere. And the Bible says Jesus was moved by compassion for the people. This is not contrary to who God is. This is the heartbeat of who God is, that he is a compassionate God. I mean, imagine this, this scene of this son walking back filled with grief and hurt and embarrassment. I mean, let's recall, this is the same father that heard his son say, it would be better off if you were dead. This is the same father that stood by at his house waiting for his son, hearing rumors and stories of what his son was doing, hearing all sorts of stuff about what his son was into. This is the father that seems like, if I can read the passage, would say that he's anticipating, he's looking for his son. And when he sees his son, he doesn't ask questions, but be moved by compassion to run after him. One of the first things that you see in this text is a father that is moved by compassion and marked by compassion. We see Psalm 103, 13, as a father shows compassion to his children. So the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Dads across this room, as we are moved by compassion, we demonstrate one of the markers of our heavenly father. That this father who had been grieved and hurt by his son, moved by compassion for his son. Not just to embrace him and say, you better get it together, you better get it right, and you're gonna be working in the stalls until the last day comes, but to embrace him, put a ring on his finger and welcome him in, which would lead to the second characteristic the father was marked by. He was marked by grace. Marked by grace. If we would say that mercy is not getting something you do deserve, grace is getting something you don't deserve. Right? And this son, in both ways, got both of them. He got mercy because he should have been chastised and beaten and hurt and sent to the uh, farthest reaches because of what he has done to his son. So he got, received great mercy, but he also received great grace. 
I want want us to read this passage again and recognize what it says. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. If you go back up to verse 17, it says, but when he came to himself, he said, how my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish in hunger, so I will go to my father. This son is essentially believing that he's gonna go back to his father's house and he's gonna work and work and work and work and work and maybe if he works enough, eventually he can work off his debt and eventually he can get into the good graces of his father once again. You see, he's had this mentality, I've messed up, I've sinned against heaven and my father, I've sinned. It's so great, so horrible, so nasty, so miserably, I failed so badly that at the very least what I've got to do is go back and work off my debt. This is precisely how often we feel in the midst of our sin and shortcomings as well. God, I've I've sinned against you, I've messed up. And so therefore, I've got to work and work and work and do all these things. And then maybe, just maybe, if I've been good enough for long enough, then I'll earn God's favor and I'll be okay to be treated as a son and daughter of the Most High. This story of the prodigal son is not so far-fetched from any of us who at times feel like though we sin and fall short that we've got to work and work and work and work and work. And maybe if we're lucky, God may welcome us in one day if we've been good enough. But here's where you see the beauty of the prodigal son and the father. The grace that this prodigal father was marked by. That while he was still a long way off, before he had even groveled on the ground, before he had done anything, the father has reached out. He has robed him in his clothes. He's put on shoes and a ring. He's killed the fattened calf and he is throwing a party of immense uh, persuasions for this son who has returned home. The son believed he had to work off the debt that was owed. But the father received him with grace that he did not deserve. And if you don't see the gospel implications in this, let me spell it out once again for you. For I was dead in my sins and trespasses, but God has made me alive together with Christ. It is by grace that we have been saved. It's only by grace that we have been saved. And so once again, you see this father is marked by his compassion to run after the grace that he has been given to this son, the grace that we have received, because not because what we have done, because the grace that God has given us. There's joy in the father at his son returning home. And fathers, as we mess up, as we fall short, as we both give grace to our children and as we ask for grace to our children as we fall short, We are marked by grace because of what we have received from our heavenly father and the grace that we have been given. But lastly, you see that the father was marked not only by compassion and grace, but also by truth. If we go to our second act of this parable, you see that while the party is beginning in verse 24, you seem like, and they lived happily ever after in verse 24, everything is good and right. They're partying, they're killing the fattened calf and everything is good in verse 24, you move on to 25. And you see, while this party is going on, the older brother is in the fields and hears the dancing and the music and all the good things happening. And once again, this prodigal father is gonna have to run after another one of his sons. 
Because get this, the older son is out in the field. He's, he's tending, he's doing all the things. He comes home and here's a party for his brother. And instead of running into the party and throwing up his arms and saying, this is awesome, my brother has returned. You see what he says. Hey dad, this son of yours, do you feel the animosity even in the oldest son's voice? This son of yours, not my brother has returned home, not your son has returned, this son of yours. He's devoured your property with prostitutes and you killed a fattened calf for him? Do you see the animosity? Do you see that the father has left the party to go after his other son now who is frustrated and angry, who's not entering into the party, who's not entering into the joy of the father? And with tender grace, but also with truth, Look in verse 31, how the father responds. And the father said to him, son. I love how the father, in the midst of these insults, in the midst of these incredible things that his sons are saying to him, the father would just simply remind him, you are my son. You can say, this son of yours, you can entreat me in all these ways, but son, you're always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But your brother, your brother was dead and now is alive. Your brother was lost, but now he is found. In the midst of the grace and the tenderness of this father, speaking with both compassion, with grace, but also with truth, to speak to this eldest brother whose heart is hardened by anger and jealousy, to say, son, Your brother is alive. Come and celebrate with us. You've had everything you could want right here. You've been with me, son. Come and celebrate. Verse 32 hits exactly what Jesus is trying to get across to these grumbly Pharisees and angry men who want nothing to do with Jesus. The ultimate aim, as you see at the bottom of your outline, is for the lost to be found. In every one of these Luke 15 parables, you see that the goal was that the lost would be found. The greatest thing for each of these, the shepherd, the the housekeeper, and for the father is for the lost thing to be found. Fathers across this room, our, our greatest goal is that our children would grow to know Jesus. Our greatest celebration is our children coming to know Jesus, to help them grow in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Moms and dads across this room, grandparents across this room, aunts, uncles, those who are working in jobs, those who are staying at home, those who are young, those who are old, those who are rich and those who are poor. Our greatest calling in this life is to glorify God by helping people connect with him, by helping lost people be found in him. And so we, like Jesus is saying to the Pharisees who are grumbling about his resolute nature to go after the the sinners and the, the people who are off the pathway, he's reminding us our greatest joy Our greatest joy 
is to see that which is lost be found. And so as moms and dads, as fathers in this room, I pray we are marked by compassion, grace, and truth, that we live as a depiction of the gospel in the world that we live in today. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you. Lord, we thank you for the story of the prodigal son and the father. Lord, we, we stand here today recognizing on this Father's Day that many of us had fathers who, who helped us to see the heavenly father more clearly. Who, who not perfectly, but in many ways exuded the characteristics of our heavenly father, showing grace and compassion and truth with their lives. We also recognize in this room there are many who maybe didn't have the joy of a father who showed them what it looks like to have a heavenly father who loves, cares, and is with them. Lord, I pray that you help us across this room to look to you as the author and the perfecter of our faith, that we humble ourselves under the authority of your word, that you mark us with the same things that you are marked by, that we would run after the lost and we would celebrate with joyful anticipation of the lost becoming found. We thank you for this day and what it means. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.